Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. This is episode 62 of the show, so if you made it this far with us, thanks a lot for tuning in. We really appreciate all the support. Today on the show, we have Mark Fazina. He is a principal over at Executive Search Partners here in Columbus, and it is a recruiting firm that helps uh, recruit executive talent with Mark's focus being on the finance, accounting, HR, and IT sectors. And he's got a lot of great wisdom on how to move up and what recruiters are looking for. I think you guys will really enjoy this episode and learn a lot. Before we get to that interview, though, guys, I want to take a moment and ask you all for a quick favor. Go ahead, pick up that phone of yours you're listening to this on, and uh, check out your podcast app, whether it's iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, uh, whatever you like to listen on. Uh, there will be a subscribe button, and if you click that, it'll make sure that you never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. And the last thing we want to do before we start the show is take the time to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with our friends over at AWH. For those of you who haven't heard of AWH, they are a digital product consulting, user experience, and software development firm. And with over 22 years of experience, AWH collaborates with a variety of clients to drive desired business outcomes through great digital products. To find out more, check out awh.net and let them know Conquering Columbus sent you. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state. For more information, head on over to sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them is a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com. All right, Conquerors, that's all we got. Let's get this episode started. could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what once again I think of that guy in my ear I think about stepping up to the stage I think about the challenge like I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost and so like I bet on me any day choosing greatness greatness doesn't choose you you know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Today on the show, we got Mark Vizina, and uh, Mark is the principal over at Executive Search Partners, Inc. Uh, it's a recruiting firm focused on staff hires and executive talent searches here in Columbus, and he started his career as a CPA with Ernst & Young, and was also the VP of Commercial Banking for Huntington before joining the recruiting field. Uh, he got started with Executive Search Partners in 1998, and he's been there ever since, and welcome to Conquering Columbus, Mark. 
Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Josh. It's great to be here. You guys are doing some some really cool things. I've learned more about you uh, since you guys contacted me, and I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we're really excited to have you on the show today. Great. So uh, we're talking a little bit about before we start, before we started, but uh, how's your day going so far? It's going well. I was telling Mike, I've got a, a high school friend in town who was, uh, he was our team manager great guy he just loved being around sports and he's a minor league baseball nut so he's been around for the last three or four days so i'm a little tired from kind of we've been running around clippers games and jazz fest and we went and pounded some bahama mamas down at schmidt's today so <laughs> but it's been good so uh yeah everything's good kind of getting the full experience of columbus then yeah i wanted to show he'd never been to columbus and you know it was you know new to him so i wanted to not overwhelm him but show him some of the stuff took him around obviously ohio state showed him the stadium and down to the short north and downtown and so took him took him around a little bit and he he's likes the city so that's great um so one of the things we you know we always like to bring it back start kind of with um maybe a ten thousand foot overview of your childhood growing up, kind of some of your hobbies, interests, all the way up to college and, you know, getting started in your early career. Sure, sure. Well, I grew up uh, probably atypical for Columbus. I grew up in New England. I grew up in Connecticut, um, but uh, had a great childhood. I mean, I was uh, three brothers and uh, my mom and dad, and um, it was just great growing up in New England. It was always a lot of fun stuff to do, and, uh, you know, I was grew up doing you know playing sports being interested in sports and then reading and listening to music typical kid stuff that for back then (laughs) anyway you guys are a lot younger um pretty competitive household with three brothers yeah yeah we were always pounding each other i mean i mean you can say i'm almost six four and i'm the shortest so it was yeah we were always playing sports or just fighting and so it was pretty it was competitive because my brother and i are only a year apart and then my other two younger brothers, they're just a year apart. So it was kind of he and I and then the, the two of them. But, yeah, so, like, my older brother and I, like, we competed. We had classes together, we were on the t- same sports teams together, competing for the same spots. Sometimes that was a little awkward. But uh, What kind of sports did you guys play? So we all played basketball, and, um, and most of us ran track, too. I think one of my brothers uh, played baseball instead, and, then, uh, and I played football too so um so yeah so my parents matter of fact when when my last brother graduated the paper ran a big article about my parents and how many games they'd been to and how it was kind of the end of an era for for sports and that for the for our family but yeah so it was really good and we had i had a lot of great friends uh back then and we had some good teams some good memories and uh yeah it was a lot of fun what did your parents do when you were growing up so my dad built submarines for a naval contractor, General Dynamics, down on the shore in Connecticut. And uh, my was mom that his was, own company? Or? No, General Dynamics was a big naval contractor back east, and uh, so he was an uh, electrical contractor on uh, for General Dynamics. You know, both my parents worked in the same place their whole career. You know, which is atypical for now. You know, back but back then it was kind of preached that you know once you started at a company you established yourself built a pension and you know it's things have changed a lot now where people will change careers and jobs you know change careers three or four times never mind jobs they might change seven or eight times over their career and that's probably something that you deal with a lot now um in terms of what you're doing with your company but we can talk about that when we kind of get to that point and i think maybe to preface with that you went from new england to college you want to talk about that transition and 
um, kind of what you studied and how you branched out. Sure, today. sure. So I, I was looking at schools back east for different reasons. Uh, those weren't quite working out, so I was contacted by Marietta College uh, about two hours from here down on the river and um, had never I had never been on an airplane in my life. So my dad and I, that's the first time I we took came out for my uh, basketball recruiting trip. We came out here my spring break of my senior year. And, you know, I, I worked out with the team, met the coach, and I liked what I saw on the campus. And, you know, you make decisions back then that are so kind of haphazard and you don't realize they're going to impact the rest of your life. You know, I made a decision to come to Marietta, come to Ohio, and I stayed in Ohio the rest of my life. If I had gone to school back east, I guarantee I never would have, you know, ended up in Ohio. So, but it just worked out great. It couldn't have worked out any better, but it's just interesting how as a 17-year-old kid, you're making a decision. And, and even now, people make decisions in their career early on, and, you know, you just got to kind of go with your gut feel and hope it's going to work out. And for me, it didn't. Yeah, you know, it's kind of incredible. It's funny to hear someone else say the same thing that I think a lot of the time about my choices and coming from, you know, most people, first words out of their mouth when they hear where I'm from is, well, why would you ever leave San Diego to come to Ohio, much less stay here after I left? And, um, you know, I didn't realize how much of a life-changing event coming to Ohio would be and how different it would be and how different my life might have been had I chosen to stay in California. But... Uh, there's definitely something about Columbus, something about Ohio, and something about the choices that you're making at such a young age that, that really impact the rest of your life. Yep. Columbus is great. I mean, it felt, well, Ohio at the time when I went down to school, it just felt at home. Immediately, my friends were the, the guys from Ohio, a lot of them. You know, most of those guys were the guys playing ball. But, you know, it just felt, it just felt really good, and I liked the people, and you know, and then I came to Columbus at kind of the exact right time. I mean, you guys would, Columbus would be unrecognizable to you guys, you know, back in the 80s. It was completely mm-hmm. different than it is now, and it's just getting better every day. Yeah, and it's weird looking back on those decisions. It almost feels like the ones that were the most instinctual that I didn't think much about or didn't dive into too much detail and try to kind of overanalyze myself were the strongest and best decisions I've ever made in my life. But you don't, you know, it's weird. You just don't get wrapped up in them in the moment. You look back three, four years later after it all passes and you were so caught up in the process, whether it's something you were passionate about or something you just didn't think twice about and it worked out so well and changed the entire trajectory of your life. Um, yeah, I think it's harder when you're younger a little bit, but in some ways it's easier because you don't fret over decisions. You you kind of make them and, and then you move on. Whereas when you're older, sometimes I think you overanalyze those decisions, whether it's a job change or something in your personal life. But when you're younger, you just... You know, you're carefree, you make your decision and you move on. And I think a lot of times you look back on it and think it was still a gut, a good gut choice. And it, it typically works out if you kind of make, you know, make it based on the right factors. So you got your degree in accounting, you became a CPA. And can you t- talk a little bit about that transition, your time and that career and where sure. you branched off from there? Yeah, I mean, in my, you know, our household was not, you know, a white collar business household. So I knew very little about business. So when I went to college, I... I was good at math, so I started taking economics and accounting classes, and that's how I ended up. And then I got, uh, like, the the big job on campus everyone wanted was the, I don't know if they had this at Ohio State, but was the refrigerator rentals for the dorms. Mm-hmm. So uh, I got that business kind of passed down to me, and that was my first look at how to run a business. And, you know, I got, a, I got paid a flat fee, and at the time, you know, it was a lot of money for a college kid. 
but you had to con control your expenses and you had so I had to kind of learn how to operate a business and that was my first exposure to business and I kind of liked it and um, you know I hired some of my buddies to deliver the refrigerators to the especially to the girls because they wanted to meet the girls so I gave them a free refrigerator they delivered it so it didn't cut into my expenses at all and so I, from there you know I was like oh this business thing's kind of neat you know and that was a very early entry to it my first exposure to it so then I I got my economics and accounting degree I went back for a fifth year to get my uh, accounting degree and uh, I had one year eligibility left for sports so um, so then I came to Columbus. I got recruited by a couple of the uh, big four accounting firms. Uh, they were big eight at the time. That's how long ago it was. But I uh, got recruited and joined Ernst & Young uh, and spent five years there as a CPA. Did you enjoy that time as a CPA? You know, I, I look back on that. First, I was a horrible accountant. <laughs> um, but... I spent five years there, which is longer than most people spend because, A, I was working with some of the smartest people I've ever met in my life, and I was learning a lot. Um, by some miracle, I passed the CPA exam just in time to stay there, and I loved it. I got exposed to some great companies, working with some really smart, good people, and I look back on it and established a great base for, for the rest of my career. What did the transition look like from going from Ernst & Young to Huntington? Was that a straight jump? It was a straight jump. I, um, a guy I played basketball with in college was really on the uh, audit engagement for Huntington, and he knew, he knew I was, you know, my career was going to be more. I wanted it to be more finance oriented um, versus accounting oriented. So, uh, banking was kind of a natural progression, and he helped connect me with Huntington, and it was really pretty seamless. I transitioned there, went through a brief kind of uh, acclimation, internship kind of program, and then moved right into a commercial banking, commercial lending uh, position, lending money to a lot of small businesses around Columbus. How many years did you stay there? I stayed there eight years, and I loved the job. It was I was working with you know, some of the people who really established Columbus, especially in the short north. I had a lot of customers who were doing real estate development and small business, running small businesses in the short north. Uh, people like Sandy Wood and Kent Rigsby and Bob Murtha. You know, the short north 30 years ago was rough. It was really rough. And these guys were taking chances. And fortunately, I convinced some people at the bank to help invest in that. And it's just, you know, that was kind of the seed of the boom that the short north is today. And, um, you know, I ended up buying a house down there 20 years ago because I saw what was coming. And, you know, my friends at the time thought I was crazy. And, uh, you know, it, it worked out great. But, you know, that job at the Huntington really exposed me to some really interesting entrepreneurial people. Um, and it also taught me that eventually I wanted to be entrepreneurial and work for myself. And so were there any kind of key role models or influential people in your life at uh, kind of those early stages through and, you know, up through your career through Huntington? that kind of had an impact on your future and your decision to move towards the recruiting? Yeah, there really were. There were a couple. There was a, a guy named Bill McNamara at Huntington. He was my first boss at Huntington. And he, he was a lifelong banker. Um, he taught me a lot. Sadly, he passed away shortly after I worked for him uh, from cancer. But just a great guy, personable. We shared some a love of, we both trained in martial arts, so we had a love of that. And he kind of took me under his wing 
And I just learned an incredible amount from him about banking in general, about how to finance businesses and get things done. And um, yeah, he was great. And then, you know, I'm looking at guys like Sandy Wood, who were, you know, really upping in, in those times, the forefront of growth in Columbus and learning from them just how to take risk a little bit. And uh, so those were a couple of the key guys. Let's talk about kind of the risk that you took branching out and, and uh, creating, you know, what you're part of now and kind of how that process evolved. So that happened, um, you know, my friends give me a hard time because they think stuff just falls into my lap. And, and that, <laughs> this, was a, this was a perfect example of what looks like kind of making a mistake and then it ended up working out really well. I, you know, I left Huntington without another job, which I... You know, now as a recruiter, I tell people that's not the way to do it. You know, just suck it up at your current job until you identify something new. But back then, it was harder to look for new jobs. You know, it was the process was harder. And I knew I, I loved Huntington and loved the job enough that I could just stay there and be comfortable. Uh, and it was time to do something more entrepreneurial. So, uh, so I left Huntington and I had my resume at probably four or five recruiting companies. And I interviewed for one job, Abercrombie & Fitch was just going public, and I interviewed for their director of investor relations job, which was a really interesting job. Wasn't going to be entrepreneurial, but it was where they were and their growth at the time was going to be an interesting job. So ended up not getting that job. Um, and uh, then a couple of the recruiting companies that had my resume just said, you know, we don't have anything, but what would you think about getting into recruiting? You know, you've got a base in accounting and banking. You've got a good network around Columbus, and that's a big part of recruiting. And you know the technical side. You know the job. So um, so I hadn't considered it, really. But then my brother was the chief financial officer for a recruiting company based in Boston, but they, were, they had an office here in Columbus. They were part of the accounting firm Crow Horwath. And he said, look, if you're going to do this, you better damn well do it with us. And... Uh, so I did. So I joined uh, Creative Financial Staffing. And as soon as I was there, I was like, this is great, but this is something I should be doing on my own. You know, they, and, and I, so I said, look, I'll stay for a year, help grow the office and get it up and going, but then I'm going to move on. And that's exactly what I did. And then kind of, it's funny because a lot of, you know, entrepreneurial people kind of overskip that part of just making that leap. And I think there's a lot to it. So you mind like kind of maybe diving into a little more detail about what the transition looked like and kind of maybe even the mental aspect of it too for you, like kind of um, what were the ups and downs and, and how did you eventually get the ball rolling and feel comfortable? Yeah, I mean, it really is. I mean, I think that's the hard part is just making that leap and, and not looking back. And that's exactly what I did. And, you know, I mean, honestly, that was almost kind of like right as email was starting, believe it or not. And... I got out about 50 handwritten notes, wrote them to people I knew in Columbus and just said, I am now in the recruiting business. If you have hiring needs, you know, specific, you know, particularly in accounting and finance, call me. And literally my business started like that. I mean, the good thing about recruiting is it takes very little startup capital. Um, so it, during that, right then when I left creative financial staffing, I was just going to go out on my own. And then I was contacted by um, a guy named Brooks Young, who I was uh, also a member at the Athletic Club of Columbus with. And he got wind of it. And he said, look, you need to partner with us. Um, you know, you'll basically be entrepreneurial working on your own. Um, but we don't have anyone that does what you do. And so that's when I joined them. And um, so that's a little digression. But 
when I got in that business, that's how I got started. And then you, I just started getting established. And then, you know, there were there was a period when unemployment was so low, it was more business than I could handle almost at times. And, you know, that ended up being a good thing. But, you know, the the, the pros and cons, you know, when you go out on your own, the biggest thing is the risk and the, and the startup money. And, you know, at the time, you know, some of it's your personal situation. If you're, you know, have a family and, you know, then I think some people, I always really give credit to those people who have a family and, you know, go out and take that risk. I was single, you know, yeah, I had a mortgage, but it wasn't a big deal. And, and, um, you know, I did some other work. I do some on camera work. So I had some other income that I knew I could at least get by, you know, if I needed to. So it wasn't as big a risk for me. Um, but so I think you just got to take that leap sometimes. And, you know, fortunately it worked out. For those people out there who maybe don't know, you want to dive a little bit more into detail on what the recruiting process looks like and from your perspective and from um, the businesses that you're working with, individuals that you're bringing in. Sure. So, you know, companies contact me and say, we have a, this position is open and uh, we need to look at some good qualified candidates for it. I mean, that's it in its simplest form. And, you know, there's, there's all kinds of variations around that. They may be doing some recruiting on their own. They may be using other recruiters at times. Um, so there's variations on that. It may be a contingency search where you only get paid if you place the person there, or maybe a retained search where you're getting paid and you're kind of a, the exclusive recruiter, which is pretty much what I focus on now. Early in my career, I didn't have that luxury, but now I, now I do. So, so that's it in a nutshell. And then, so you get a job description and you've got to start reaching out to people. So you've got to figure out how do I re- how do I reach these people? Some are already in my network, um, so they've maybe contacted me in the past and said, "Mark, I'm happy uh, in my accounting job now. I'm accounting manager, or I'm in public accounting. But if this kind of job comes along, let me know." And those are the people that I bring to the table. They're not the people typically who are looking at job postings. They're the people who are what I call passive candidates they're happy in their jobs but they could be happier doing something else they're looking for a new challenge and those are the ideal people that I work with definitely and so um, as that process kind of gets forward you know if you're working with that kind of person um, I guess one of the things that I found is that a lot of people are hesitant to talk to a recruiter and that you know there's a lot of people always reaching out constantly through linkedin things like that about not just recruiting for other jobs but recruiting you to be a recruiter and um do you think that there's kind of a negative connotation these days with recruiting i think it's changing i think you know when i was being recruited i think i had some of that uh that you know i was like why are these guys bugging me kind of mentality and i think you know, I think Columbus in particular has established a really good base of recruiters. Some of my peers, I think, are really good as well, where where a lot of us are coming up not through recruiting, but we're coming up through the jobs that we're recruiting for. So we know, you know, I think the biggest frustration people have is when you get contacted about a job that's nowhere near what your background is or what you want to do. That's frustrating to people. So. I think I'm pretty good and I think some of my peers are pretty good at identifying like this is a job that's a fit for you. Like when I I tell people, I'm like, I'm never going to contact you with a job that's out in left field. This job is up your alley. Whether you're interested at that particular time or not, that's up to you. But I'm still going to contact you and give you the opportunity to say yes or no. And I don't mind the no at all as long as there's, 
You know, some people just aren't at a point in their career where they're ready to make a change. That's perfectly fine with me. Um, but I'm going to present that job to you. And I think most people appreciate it if the job is a reasonable fit. And I have people say, look, Mark, great job, just not the right timing. Or, you know, and I reach out to a lot of people, but I only need two or three people to say, great job. And the timing's pretty good. I'm interested in looking around a little bit. I always tell people, look, you have nothing to lose and potentially a lot to gain by exploring a job. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a little bit of time, you know, that's... I can tell you what's going to happen if you don't pursue this, nothing. But if you do pursue it, something really good could happen. And I have people tell me that all the time. They're like, you know, when you contacted me, I really wasn't looking. But this ended up being a great career move for me. And those are kind of the rewarding moments in, mm -hmm. in recruiting when the cycle comes through and you place somebody in a job and they call you three years, five years, ten years later. You know, a guy I placed, I worked at Ernst & Young with, my first placement he became the head of uh, mortgage accounting uh, uh, across the U.S. for Chase. So he's been there 20 plus years. He runs the, sh you know, runs, the, you know, for the whole country. And that was, the, you know, the first guy I placed, and he's been there ever since. So you know, those are kind of the stories I like that you know people end up in the right job and it changes their careers. And I think from a theoretical standpoint, recruiting isn't anything that anybody's really offended or put off by. I mean, everybody wants more opportunities put on their plate right. and wants to be approached with different avenues that they could possibly take in their life. But I think the fact that as we continue to increase our ability to touch a million people at once and we're being bombarded from all different angles, it gets overwhelming. I think it gets frustrating, like you said, when somebody approaches you and clearly didn't do their research on you or into their, you know, study or know you very well and they approach you with something that's just absurd and, and they're mass mailing, you know, right, thousands of people. Right, right. And those are kind of, you know, they're still out there, the kind of the, the used car salesman of recruiting where they're just throwing everything they can at you and they don't really think it through. You know, that's going to happen. It can happen in any profession where, you know, but I, I think for the most part, at least my, you know, I do some partnering with some of the other recruiters in town and there's some really good ones you know I, I and I tell people sometimes depending on where they are in their career I refer other recruiters to people sometimes and just say look we all see different jobs I don't want to shortchange you at all so especially if someone's kind of actively looking I'm like you know here's somebody good you can contact as well and are you guys just connecting the dots or are you also helping in the interview process as well yeah. So again, it depends on where people are in their career. You know, if someone's a chief financial officer, there's not much I need to tell them about how to interview unless they've only had one job their whole career. And and it's been, you know, 20 years since they've interviewed. Then I, may, I, I typically ask them, do you want to brush up on anything? But if someone's early in their career, you know, I, I just give them a little primer and I just kind of tell people, I'm look, look, be yourself because you don't want to present something you're not. You know, that doesn't, you know, then you're going to show up day one and it's not going to be a fit. So, you know, be professional, be yourself and ask the right questions and listen and let's take it one step at a time. Well, I'm not asking you to commit to this job yet. I'm asking you to go have a conversation and see where it goes. And that's typically, you know, I tell people after a one hour interview, you're going to know way better than me whether this is a potential fit for you. And if it is great, we go to the next step. If it's not, no hard feelings, we move on, and then, you know, maybe we'll talk down the road. And are you primarily focused on the executive level positions, or is there an area that you specialize? 
I specialize in accounting, finance, and banking across the board, not so much entry level people right out of school, although I'll talk to people and certainly happy to give people uh, counsel as they're coming out of school uh, or a year or so into their jobs. But, you know, typically from two to three years up, that senior accountant, um, credit analyst, you know, up through, you know, commercial banker, chief financial officer. So that's kind of my niche. I've been doing this a long time. So sometimes I have a client who likes what I did on the accounting side. So they'll say, hey, you know, I've got an an IT position or I've got a sales position. Um, Can you help us with that? And that's kind of fun for me because it's a different kind of job. So I've, I've done, certainly done those over my career too. Definitely. And one question I wanted to ask and touch on was you mentioned earlier that um, you know, there's a lot of work when the unemployment rates are down, but in, you know, say 2008, 2009, obviously employment rate, unemployment rate went way up. Um, how did that impact your business? And was there any point in that time where, you know, things were really difficult, things were, um, you know, were there any points, I guess, low points in that area that uh, you felt like, hey, this is, you know, maybe something I need to change course or do, what did you, how did you get through that? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, fortunately I was far enough in my career at that point that, you know, I had one, it was just weird. I had a really good year in there. I think it was 2009. Um, but certainly there were a couple years that weren't that great then, but you know, again, accounting's a, uh, recruiting's a roller coaster and, you know, you got to learn like just when you, when you make money, don't go blow it so that you can survive those times. And um, so, yeah, it was a little bit of an adjustment. I changed my business model a little bit. I was still doing recruiting, but then I also had a lot of candidates who were looking for jobs. So I did kind of a fee for service where I would work with candidates on helping them brush up their resume, uh, making introductions to companies. And, and then, you know, some candidates paid me. Uh, fees during that time. Certainly not what I would charge a company on the recruiting side, mm-hmm. but you know, if I helped facilitate uh, them getting a position, so it was just you know a little bit of a change, and then you know, and that fortunately that the cycle came back through, and now things are are back to very low unemployment again. This is kind of a left field question too, so if it's uh, something you need more time to think about, we can we can kind of skip over it, but I'm interested here in the most successful career switches that you've seen and that you've been a part of, what are some of the attributes in those individuals that kind of stick out to you the most that help them kind of really branch that bridge and make it to the C-level or, you know, make it to the next level of whatever profession they're working in? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of those people, you know, I have people, certainly have people contact me that want to make complete 180 career changes. And I tell those people, look, I'm not the guy probably to help you with that. My clients pay me to bring someone who's, you know, if they're an accounting person, they want to stay an accounting person. But I have seen people make those changes. And what I tell them is work your warm network for that, because those are the people that know you. So, you know, Josh, if, you know, someone knows you, whether it's, you know, a former wrestling teammate or someone that knows like I know Josh and whatever he takes it's going to get done they'll make it they'll take a chance on you but if Joe's resume is sitting next to Bob's resume and and Bob does not have experience in that area and nobody they don't know him HR people are looking for reasons to throw your resume in the bin and get it out out of their face so people are looking to make career changes I tell you know they have the attributes that they're 
You know, they know what they're good at and the people who have worked with them know what they're good at. And I've seen people, I've got one of my best friends came up through IT. He was with uh, Anderson Consulting and now he's chief operating officer for one of the best companies in town, um, IGS Energy, you know, and just has made, made that move because he was, he had a great technical base in IT, but he was a people person. He was a big picture business person. And, you know, the people that took a chance on him, he made that move internally with his old company. And then other people saw what he did there. And so, you know, you, those are tougher, but you almost got to do them with people who know you. Do you ever see jumps from like a senior level accountant to like a CFO and things like that? Or is it mainly just like accountant to accountant, CFO to CFO? Because probably, I mean, when it comes to a C-level, it's got to be, you have a lot of people vying for a very small number of spots. Yeah. So, you know, if it's a, for example, a chief financial officer, because that's what I have my most exposure with, you know, I typically clients want to see other chief financial officers, but I'll also show them one level down, maybe a controller. And, you know, sometimes they push back on that a little bit, but I always tell them, I'm, I'm like, look, like Urban Meyer was an assistant football coach at one time and somebody hired him to be a head football coach. Someone took a chance on him. And just like there are really good controllers out there who will make great chief financial officers, but someone's got to give them that opportunity. So I try to tell people like, look, this is somebody you need to talk to. This is someone who's, look at their career progression. Now, if someone's been an accounting manager for 35 years, they're not going to be a chief financial officer. But if they're, you know, 12 years into their career and they've made a progression from staff accountant up to controller during that time, they're on the cusp of being a CFO and, and companies need to take a look at somebody like that. Absolutely. So I guess uh, kind of moving towards um, the long-term changes in the industry, I was kind of interested in, you know, like you mentioned earlier, when you first got started, email was kind of just getting rolling. How has your process changed personally and how do you think uh, relative to the industry, your process has stayed or changed the same? Well, it's certainly gotten easier, which is good and bad because, you know, then more people can do it, you know, but, uh, <laughs> and companies I think have established some internal recruiting folks because it is easier to, to network and they've, you know, like some of the larger companies especially have internal recruiting staffs. And by the time they get to me, they've already beaten the bushes pretty good for people. So a lot of those companies, I tell them, look, I'm just not interested. You know, I, I want to, some of my most interesting searches are one-on-one -on -one consultative searches. Um, and this is digression a little bit, but, you know, working with companies like I've worked with organizations like COSI to help them hire their chief financial officer, um, Tech Columbus, uh, which is a different name now, but hire their CFO, Columbus School for Girls. Those are one-on-one -on -one exclusive searches, consultative, really fun process to get somebody and find them the right person. So, you know, that's kind of a digression, but you know, the way my industry's changed is it's made it a lot easier for me to find people through LinkedIn and things like that. Whereas before it was, you know, you were on the phone. Uh, fortunately, this changed just as I was getting in the industry, but you were on the phone and I mean, you were calling people, hope they call you back. You were, you know, faxing resumes around. I mean, this is sounds crazy to you guys, I'm sure. But <laughs> but that's the way it was that, you know, when I explored a couple jobs back when I was at Ernst & Young and at Huntington, I remember faxing my resume to a recruiter and they faxed it over. And, you know, so now you can handle and and that's allowed me to work remotely, which is great. I mean, I 
I spend most of the winter in warmer places, you know, because, uh, you know, I, I'm an avid tennis player and I don't want to be in Columbus January through March, but I can work from anywhere. And, you know, one year I went to Russia for six weeks and I worked from Russia and my clients had no idea. I didn't even tell them I was going. Um, when I came back, they said, you know, we thought we were wondering why we got emails at kind of odd times, but you know, for the most part, they want to see good candidates, good resumes, and they want me to facilitate the process. Um, so it's not like it's not like being a realtor where I got to be there for a showing. You know, I'm mm-hmm. I'm a matchmaker, and if I can facilitate that, you know, I've had clients honestly that I've met once or twice. They just want to see good people, and it's been fun. You know, I've worked with some really good companies in town. I like being on the forefront of helping companies grow, like a company like Piata came to me when they first started eight, nine years ago, and I hired their very first accountant for them. Um, at the controller level, he's now their chief financial officer, and he's, you know, Piata's growing amazingly, and I, I've helped bring in people every step below that. He's, as, they, as he's moved up, he's hired people below him, and so probably three quarters of their accounting staff are people who I've been involved and helped um, help bring, you know, and those are the kind of the fun clients for me now. Yeah, it's got to be exciting to see companies like that come together with, you know, something that you help facilitate. I'm curious, too, from more of a selfish standpoint, what your take is on somebody who might be listening right now and interested in becoming a CFO further down in their career. What are some of the um, high-level strategy and day-to-day operations that you see them going through for some of the people that you've placed? Yeah, I mean, people, you know, public accounting is a great place to start. I, I think more of my CFO candidates started in public accounting than anywhere because it's a great base for your career. You're working with really smart people. You're going from client to client. You're getting great training. And then at some point they make that transition from public accounting to industry and you know some of those are going with with big companies some are looking for that more entrepreneurial situation and are willing to take a little bit more of a a risk maybe taking a little lower salary than they could if they went to a nationwide a chase a cardinal but you know i I placed a guy with um you know with the guy with piata you know that was a a risky startup but look how that's worked out for him you know And, and those are the kind of situations where everyone's different and you just got to figure out your appetite for risk and what kind of situation works best. And, you know, you figure it out based on what you you know, what you think your skill set is and what kind of environment you want to work in. Do you want to be in a big company and there's pros and cons to that? Or do you want to be in a more entrepreneurial situation? So but either way, you got to you got to have a good technical skills. You got to have good people skills so you can manage people and good administrative organizational skills. You know, the, the, those are universal, whether you're at a big company or in an entrepreneurial situation. And then one of the um, final questions we start to wrap up, I guess, what does the future look like for you and, and what are your goals looking forward from here? Do you want to continue to travel and work remotely or do you have plans of, um, I, I, well, I guess part of that too is kind of curiosity on how do you step away? Is there a sustainable business model where people can fill in for you and you can kind of live off that? Or Yeah, so I guess to... to answer the first part you know at this point in my career I'm pretty selective about the engagements I choose Um, you know I'm definitely not working you know 40 50 hours 60 hours a week like I I used to Um, I spend a lot of time I'm fortunate I've been involved with some really good nonprofit organizations in Columbus uh, sitting on their boards and that's rewarding to me 
um, organizations like Buddy Up Tennis, who teaches tennis to Down syndrome uh, kids. And uh, there's an orphanage in Honduras or an organization called Montana de Luz that's doing great work. And, and I also sit on the COSI uh, development board. And so at this point in my career, uh, you know, it's probably you know, a, a balance of those things. I'm doing some other things. I teach tennis on the side. I still do the on-camera uh, work on the side. So it's, you know, my days are all over the place. Um, you know, I'm running from here to teach a tennis lesson, you know, so it's all over the place. But there is an exit strategy. I think if, you know, if there was a recruiter out there, someone younger who was working for a recruiting company but wanted to do their own thing, uh, I would love to find someone who I, I clicked with, who I could eventually transition my book of business to and kind of mentor them along into, you know, into taking that. Um, but in the meantime, this is a business I can continue to do. And if the right engagement comes up, you know, like my financial planner asked me if I'm ever going to retire. And I'm like, well, it's maybe, you know, and, um, but as soon as an engagement comes up that I want to, I think looks promising um, or if it's a job, an engagement with a search like a client that I really like, like a, like a Piata or install building products, another public company I work with, then I'm going to do it. Um, so I'm just selective about it. You know, if it's a search where there's five other recruiters involved, I'm fortunate in my career at this point, I don't need to get involved with those because that's a frustrating thing about recruiting is when you're doing contingency searches, you can work a lot of hours on an engagement and not get paid at the end. Um, you know, people always say recruiters get overpaid for the jobs they do. And when you do a placement, you kind of do get overpaid because there's four other jobs you didn't get paid for. So that's just the nature of it. It all balances out. Um, but at this point in my career, you know, it's, you know, and in my life, it's a, it's nice to have that balance of working with nonprofits, working on my recruiting business, doing some other things on the side. Definitely. And so the last question we kind of like to ask most of our guests is centered around our theme of our show, which is live uncomfortably. Um, and it means a lot to us, but uh, mostly uh, talks about purposeful discomfort and pushing yourself outside your comfort zone. So uh, what do you think of the, when you hear the phrase and how does it affect you? or how does it apply to your life yeah I think you know when I hear that I hear you know kind of going outside your comfort zone you know is what kind of what I hear and whether it's something in your personal professional life it's accepting new challenges and that's you know I've I've never really been too shy about that I've you know whether it's going to work on my own in a business I didn't know much about or taking on a new personal challenge you know i and, you know, a few years ago, I decided I was going to teach myself to play the piano, you know, so now I have a piano sitting in my place and I'm not very good, but it's a new challenge and I like it. And, you know, I picked up tennis, you know, late in life, but now I play at a pretty high level. I teach tennis and, um, you know, the on camera stuff, same things, things I never envisioned. Like when I walked out of Marietta College, um, I'm doing things I never envisioned I would be doing, but I love doing them. And, uh, you know, I love being a part of Columbus and, and the growth, but all of, a lot of those things were things that were um, uncomfortable to me. You know, talking about living uncomfortably and taking, and I would say, you know, to your listeners, you know, don't worry about those things. If, you know, if some will work out, some won't, but, you know, I think your generation's really good about taking on new challenges and looking at things and trying new things and, and seeing what happens. All right, Mark. Well, hey, I think that's a good place to wrap up the show here. You got any last words for the people of Columbus? 
Well, no, I mean, I'm a Northwestern fan, so I won't go there. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, no, I think you guys are doing great things. I would say to your listeners, stay engaged with Columbus because it's an incredible city. You know, walk going around with my friend this weekend, sometimes you lose sight of just how good a city it is. But then when someone comes into town and you start showing them around, you're like, wow, this is it really is an incredible city. And I'm, I'm you know, really happy to be a part of it. All right, well, thanks a lot for joining us today, Mark. And uh, Conquerors, thanks a lot for listening. Uh, We hope you guys learned a lot this episode, and we will talk to you next week. If you guys enjoyed that episode, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitchers, whatever your favorite podcast app is. And go ahead and click that subscribe button. It'll make sure you never miss another episode of Conquering Columbus. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to say thanks to all of our incredible sponsors one more time. And that starts with our friends over at AWH. For those of you who haven't heard of AWH, they are a digital product consulting, user experience, and software development firm. And with over 22 years of experience, AWH collaborates with a variety of clients to drive desired business outcomes through great digital products. To find out more, check out awh.net and let them know Conquering Columbus sent you. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state. For more information, head on over to sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them, there's a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com. drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what once again I think of that guy in my ear I think about stepping up to the stage I think about the challenge like I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost and so like I bet on me any day choosing greatness greatness doesn't choose you you know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.